Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. I'm Sherry Hoyt, and I'm your host for today. I'm really excited to be speaking on the phone with Jane Alvey Harris, author of Riven, her debut novel that interweaves hard-hitting social issues with all the elements of a sophisticated fantasy story. But before we start, let's learn a little bit more about Jane. Jane Alvey Harris has a humanities degree from Brigham Young University with emphases in art history, Italian language, and studio art. She's crazy about the visual and performing arts. She enjoys playing classical piano, painting and sketching, singing and acting, and especially writing poetry and prose. But her real passion is people. She loves to watch and study what makes us tick as human beings. Definitely a dreamer, her favorite thing to do is to weave together sublime settings and stories for characters to live and learn in, herself included. Jane currently lives in an enchanted fairy princess castle in Dallas, Texas, with her three often adorable children and their three seldom adorable cats. For more information on Jane Alvey Harris and her book, Riven, visit her website at www.janealveyharris.com. And that's www.janealveyharris.com. Hi, Jane. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Before we begin, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am... A single mom of three kids. I live in Dallas, and I am a writer. And when did you start writing? About four years ago, I officially started working on what would eventually become Ribbon, but I have always loved writing. Mm -hmm. And where did you get the idea for the Ribbon storyline? This story has kind of been one that's always just grown inside me, and it's come in a lot of different forms and kind of just, compiled in my mind and you know I've taken it from my own life from the lives of the people that are important to me and just from the world around me what's going on in the headlines and just in society in general and it just kind of all came together and <laughs> became this story. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us a little bit about Ribbon? Yeah it's about a 17 year old girl who she kind of has a rough life. Her mm-hmm. Um, mom is strung out on pain pills and her dad's been in prison for 10 years and she, wow. she finds, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not easy. She finds comfort in looking after her three younger siblings, um, mm-hmm. Jacob, Aiden, and Claire. And that's kind of where she gets her security from is making sure that, that they're all right. But a couple weeks before her father is released from prison, weird things start happening. She starts noticing some marks on her arm, and she hears these voices in her head, and she kind of realizes that she just isn't okay. And that's where the story starts, and it goes from there. It's just her dealing with with trauma in her life that she had forgotten, that she didn't even remember, and how she comes to eventually acceptance about who she is and, and what she is. So it kind of just comes to the surface, all of these memories. Right. And they come in the form of when she was young, she had created an elaborate fantasy world, and she kind of used it. She entertained her brothers and sister with stories of the first realm, and there were fairies there and, you know, insects that could talk and elves and all these (laughs) magical creatures. And she starts remembering this story that she had, like, buried. And the creatures from this first realm are appearing in her dreams and sometimes even when she's awake and telling her that they need her help. So that's kind of what happens in the first half of the book. 
It's kind of dark and it's deep, but it sounds like the way she deals with things, the, the fantasy really kind of helps her get through it and to the other side. Yeah, a lot of people in real life, especially children who've experienced abuse or some kind of trauma, use fantasy to help them cope with things that they either can't process or deal with in the real world. And that's what's happening for Emily, the protagonist in Ribbon. Mm-hmm. Was it your intention to write Ribbon for the young adult crowd? Because it sounds like a very mature audience would uh, enjoy the series as well. Yeah, um, and that has been the response that I've received. Um, adults really like it as well. But when I started writing, I was writing for my kids. It was kind of like a love story to my children, mm-hmm. and it didn't have those aspects. It was more just straight fantasy. But as things developed and progressed, I realized there are so many people that share a similar history with her. It is mature, but the thing is it happens to kids the abuse and the trauma that I'm talking about. So I feel like the fantasy also makes it more approachable. But yeah, I always wanted it to be for teens because I really think that it is something important that we do discuss Mm -hmm. and that it can make a profound difference in people's lives to be able to understand that Mm -hmm. they're not alone in having experienced something like this, or even if they haven't experienced it, someone they know definitely has. So I've done a lot of research and worked with therapists and psychiatrists. I've attended different trials and things, and it is just, it's omnipresent, the issue of abuse. And so, yeah, I thought that this would be the audience that would really benefit from this kind of story. Well, it's a great way to get that message out there from abuse to, to bullying. Kids go through so much these days. Not that they haven't always, but I think with this age of instant communication and what's going on all around the world, I think we're hearing more about it now. Yeah, I, I wonder that. And if you look at the statistics and things, it's not like these things started happening more. I have been an outcry witness, which is the person who first hears about abuse from someone for mm-hmm. six adults who are my age and I'm 43 and this is something that they've lived with for decades and I was the first person they told but now in this day I think where it's more acceptable to go to therapy or to you know Mm -hmm. to get help and to talk about these things I mean there's always been a stigma associated with these things it's not easy to be mm-hmm. open and talk about things that have happened to you in the past. And a lot of people bury them. So I just think that, yeah, like you said, with this, with media and news coverage and social media and everything, not necessarily that it's being perpetrated more, but definitely we have an opportunity right now to heal and to normalize. And by mm-hmm. that, I mean, you know, share stories and get rid of the guilt and the shame that we mm-hmm. might have held on to for a long time that just isn't necessary. Right. It's okay to get it all yes. out. And to, yeah. and to move on from it because that's the only way you're going to. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you hope then your readers take away from your book? In, in Riven, my main message is self-acceptance and self-mercy. Because, you know, a lot of times there's parts of us that we don't like and we tend to bury those things. So in this book, self-acceptance, self-mercy, self-love, and empowerment are the messages that I hope 
anybody, whether they've experienced abuse or not, that we all have traumas and we all have been hurt and we all feel guilt and shame that isn't ours, that we don't have responsibility for. So in the book, Emily has a dissociative disorder. Her different egos come to life and take on personalities. They have Mm -hmm. names and they speak to her. But we all have voices in our heads that give us negative messages that tell us you're not good enough, you're stupid, you know, never do that, you shouldn't do this, always be right, always be perfect. And even if reading this story can help people to make peace with those voices, to say, hey, I hear what you're saying, you're a valuable part of me, but I'm going to do this, you know, to just have that awareness of where those voices are coming from and that we don't have to buy into the messages that they're giving us, that they came from a long time ago from someone else, then I think that I would be so happy (laughs) that that's what people took away from this book. I think that's happening. It sounds like that is happening already. Tell me about some of the responses you've gotten from your book. It hasn't been out on the market that long, right? No, it's just been out. Um, the official release date was on the 15th of August, but I've had a lot of help and a lot of beta readers. I've taught in the high school, and so I've had kids that read it and give me feedback and help, and the response has been really amazing. And I love it when readers will send me messages and tell me that, oh, they've started dreaming or they've had dreams about these situations in which they are empowered or mm-hmm. they do have like they're in the book like they're Emily and they they overcome something yeah. and I have had people who have written and said I really relate to Emily and I really have this has touched me on a on a deep deep level and then also just the adventure and the fantasy some of my favorites are when grown-up guys Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me that they've never read fiction and they've certainly never read fantasy, but that they just love this story. So I think that because the characters are so authentic that it really resonates with people. And I'm not patting myself on the back for mm-hmm. saying that. I really feel like this story like was given to me. Like I'm just the person mm-hmm. who got to write it down. And of course, like the three siblings are my kids. And so <laughs> that wasn't hard for me to write authentic characters because it's just them. And kind of Emily's character has my personality. So it's just the way we are together. Not things uh-huh. that have happened to us, but the way that they interact. And that's another thing that people really seem to like is the sibling relationships in the book. So yeah, the response has been great. I'm so excited. Yeah, that's awesome. Yay! Uh, of course, our reviewer had a lot to say about your writing as well. And her take on it was just, you know, she was really able to see Emily and your writing really helped her understand the impact the abuse has on a person. So congrats. Wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> All of the above. I was so yeah. impressed with her review. I was like, whoa, <laughs> we're keen. That's amazing. Inside Scoop Live is a global internet-based broadcast specialized in interviewing published authors about their current books and their areas of expertise. Join us and hear both well-known and upcoming writers talking candidly about their life, experience, as well as the business of being an author in today's literary world. 
always interesting and current, we strive to bring our audience high-quality discussions that spotlight a vast diversity of authors in the field today. Our interviews are available 24-7 through direct podcasts, as well as MP3 download from your computer for your convenience. Please visit us at InsideScoopLive.com. Welcome back to Inside Scoop Live. Today I'm talking with Jane Alvey Harris, author of Riven. Stay tuned because we are going to continue this lively and fun conversation with Jane about being a movie junkie, her favorite books, travel and music, trying new things, being in love with her cat, and much more. But in the meantime, you can check out Riven by visiting her website at www.janealveyharris.com. And that's www.janealveyharris.com. So I understand you are a movie junkie. What is your favorite movie genre? I love scary movies. And I don't, (laughs) yes, and it's only a recent development, like in the last few years. Before, I couldn't watch them. And now (laughs) I just, like, can't get enough of them. And I do, like, close my eyes a lot or hide (laughs) and (laughs) cover my ears. It's such a rush. I don't know. And not slasher ones, but just the kind that are, like, the suspense, like, spooky. And I, I even jump scares get me. My my boys, you know, roll their eyes. And, oh, that's so obvious. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> so scary. <laughs> so um, I really like those. Now, music is a big part of your life as well? I love music. I'm a pianist and classically trained, but I don't perform anymore mm-hmm. or even get a chance to play. But, okay, music is like a drug to me. And <laughs> Really? So I was raised Mormon, devout Mormon. There are no drugs in my life. There's not Mm -hmm. even alcohol in my life or any, you know, I've never tried anything. I've never broke curfew. (laughs) Like, I was straight-laced, good girl. And to me, the only thing that really gets me out of my head is Mm -hmm. music. I love live music, going to concerts and stuff, but Uh even just, you know, at home, turned up really loud where you can feel the bass in your chest. And there's not room for anything else in your head. It completely (laughs) takes me over. So, yeah, I really, I love music. I cannot listen to music while I'm writing. Um, Mm -hmm. But a lot of times when I'm at the gym, I'll be listening to some music and scenes come pouring into my head. So they're set to music, a lot of the scenes that I write, but I don't listen to it while I'm writing. Have you ever considered writing a screenplay based on the story? It just seems so well-suited for a viewing audience. Yes, and I wish someone that was good at that would do it. (laughs) I don't know how. It's so visual to me. Like, I see what's happening, and Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this will be so good in the movie. And when I worked on, well, as I was writing Riven, I have a critique partner who, that's what she studied in college, was Mm. screenplays and those kinds of things. And she made me read every word to her out loud. And then she would tell me what worked and what didn't work and how to make it more visual. And the Mm -hmm. goal was to not take the reader out of the story ever. So some people find the transitions a little bit confusing. Mm -hmm. I get that. But I was all about just being in the moment and making it as right there as possible. Right. So, yeah, I would definitely love to see this be a movie. I think that would be great. I mean, it sounds like 
you know, it's modern and current and mm-hmm. something that the kids oh, and adults would be drawn to today. Yeah. You never know. You never know. So you have another series in the works as well? I still have two books in this series okay. I'm working on, Secret Keeper and Primed. I am feeling a little bit, not pressure, but an urgency mm-hmm. to to get finished with Secret Keeper and Primed. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel that they're really ready to come out now. So yeah. that's what I'm going to focus on. And then when other ideas come or dreams or mm-hmm. conversations or whatever, I jot them down and keep them for, for whenever. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what do your kids think about having a famous author for a mom? <laughs> they are so funny. I've asked them so many times, like, are you guys sure you want your names to be in this book and, like, your personalities and stuff? Because they do get, locally at least, Yeah, everybody knows that I wrote a book and that they're in it. And I'm, yeah. I'm always talking to them about, you know, if you don't clean up your room, I'm just going to whack you in the next book and that kind of thing. <laughs> so on the one hand, first of all, they are all writers. And they oh. – yeah, That's they awesome. are really good, too. And I'm not just saying that. They are good. And so it's not anything except for they all really like the book and the and yeah. the characters. But it took some doing because at first they wouldn't read it to save their lives just because I wanted them to. And so, I don't know, Aiden comes home and says, well, so-and-so read your book and so-and-so thinks this and so-and-so thinks that. But it's just kind of like it's just almost yeah. a non-issue. So yeah. I'm not famous and they don't care. Do they give you little helpful suggestions for scenes or yes. any of that? Yeah. <laughs> well, every now and again they'll say, well, this should happen and this should happen. But, uh-huh. but like, my oldest son, Jacob, is a genius. And he'll do proofreading for me. Um, you, you need an editor. But I wanted it to be as clean as possible before I sent it to an editor. So he <laughs> helped me with that. And Claire just is enthusiastic and Aiden you know sometimes they'll say what they want to have happen what they but it's mostly like the other one mm-hmm. getting whacked or something <laughs> it's not super not funny what is the best piece of advice you've ever received about writing or about life in general well I love this quote by um, Laurel Thatcher Ulrich and she was kind of a feminist historian and she Mm -hmm. said well-behaved women seldom make history and going back to this whole idea of these different egos and voices in our head I had a really strong critical parent voice in my head who was always telling me that I had to be perfect Mm. Um, and this piece of advice really I mean, I have to tell it to myself all the time because, mm-hmm. you know, we we do have a lot of pressure on ourselves. At least mm-hmm. I have always mm-hmm. put a lot of pressure on myself to be perfect and to never screw up. And now I'm just like, you know what? I am a work in progress. And just because you think something is right doesn't mean that that's what's right for me. I really believe that as long as I take responsibility for my actions and am doing my best, that I just got to go out there and make mistakes and get messy and learn from experience because yeah. and it's my favorite bit of parenting advice too is that you know you would never thank a toddler for falling down when they're learning how to walk but you wouldn't put them in a room full of sharp objects and glass or things either we want experiences in a in a safe environment so mm-hmm. you know i think safety is very important but I don't think I always have to get things right. And 
or live up to anybody else's idea of what right is. That's the thing. I don't think there is only one right. So yeah, that piece of advice has been huge in my life, still is huge in my life. I love that. It's just a great message. And I just feel like so many young women, they just need to hear that. Yeah, because, you know, I was raised that I had to do, you know, there were certain steps I had to take in my life to be considered a successful woman and Mormon. And, you know, I had to Mm -hmm. check all these things off my list and then I would be fulfilled and happy. And and it just (laughs) was not true for me. And a lot of people don't maybe agree with the way I live my life. But, you know, I'm not going to sit here and wait politely for things to happen to me. I'm going to make them happen. I love that. Well said. Thank you. (laughs) You sound like you are so busy. What do you do in your free time? Do you have any free time? I do have free time because, you know, my kids are older and their dad is an amazing person and we co-parent very well. And so, yeah, I'm writing and this part, the business side of writing is difficult and it does take up a lot more time than I ever had any idea it would. But I love to travel. I have amazing friends who live different places and I love to go visit them. I really, you know, yeah. And I love to just experience things. I said before that I'm a movie junkie, but I also love Netflix and I love crime dramas. I love to eat. I love to eat. Who doesn't love to eat? Who doesn't love to eat? Do you know what I don't love to do is cook. I hate going to the grocery store. Yes, and my kids are so picky. Like, Mm. that's my least favorite thing to do. Like, if I had some grateful people to cook for, maybe Mm -hmm. I'd like it. But why? There are people who are so much better at it than I am. There are 15 million things I'd rather do with my time than cook or clean. I love to decorate a house, but not keep a house, you know? Yes, I do know that. <laughs> there are plenty of things to do in my free time. I wanted to ask about your cat because I understand oh. you're in love with your cat, but your children have less than adorable cats? Okay, so no, my no. children are less than adorable. Oh, my okay. cat. <laughs> yes, so there are three cats, which is way too many cats. <laughs> and one of them, Quincy, is the love of my life. And I really, like, I love her. I don't know what will happen when she is no longer here. And we are, like, soulmate, Quincy. And she even sends me dreams when I travel and she can (laughs) speak Spanish in my dreams. But there are two other cats. And Honey Badger is evil. I really, Ah. I I can't stand her. And then there's Shia. His name is actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. And he is my boyfriend cat. Like, we have a love-hate relationship where, like, we're dating, but he is mean <laughs> so, and vicious. So we love to snuggle, but not all the time. So they're adorable. My kids are sometimes adorable <laughs> and sometimes smelly. So, yeah. you know. Jane, this has been so much fun. I could talk to you all day, but we are running out of time. So I do have one last question that I like to ask at the end of every interview And uh, that is, do you have any advice for aspiring authors? I do. And that advice is to just get started. There are so many excuses we give ourselves. You know, you're going to wait until the semester is over or until this test is passed or or whatever Mm -hmm. situation in your life is you think preventing you. But it Honestly, it's fear. There's no excuses. Just start writing. And it doesn't have to be profound, and it doesn't have to be the first chapter in, you know, the first sentence in the first chapter. Just 
start. And, you know, find a critique partner. Look, there are so many resources for writers, and young writers are in demand these days. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a cool thing to be, you know, a a young writer. It's fascinating. And just do a quick Google search of, you know, decide what genre you want to write or what your, your target audience is, and then search for critique groups or workshops or societies. I belong to the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, and they have chapters in every state, and there are local chapters as well. So they meet um, locally and on a national level, and I wish I had joined sooner. They have such good resources and tools to, yeah. to help you, and they know, especially about the business side, because it's not easy. You know, you've got a great idea. You maybe have a great voice and a great story, but then you still have to get it out there. So my advice is to do some Googling, start mm-hmm. writing, and set small goals for yourself and work for them. Yeah, I think that must be the hardest part for writers, actually, just the, the marketing side. Do you write every day? I don't write every day. Okay. And I've, this is another good piece of advice that I heard. I was at a conference I att- um, attended once. Maggie Seifotter, mm-hmm. who wrote the Scorpio races, she said, you know, everybody's going to be different. Like, I write the way I live my life. So some people are really disciplined and organized, and they sit down and they write X number of words a day. And she said, I have to go out and live my life and be inspired and come back and write. And that's how I am, too. That's my process as well. I'm not a disciplined person, but I'm a very imaginative, dreaming kind of Mm -hmm. connection is huge for me. So I go out and gather and then come back and write. So the way you do it isn't as important, I think, as just that you are doing it, not just talking about doing it, but actually doing it, I think, is the most important part. And then, yeah, the decision whether to traditionally publish or self-publish, in the end, the reason I did not go with the offers that I have is because there was so much that I did change and did give up in Mm. um, my manuscript. There were two camps, and they either wanted it to be all fantasy or all contemporary realistic. And I, my one point was that I was going to tell the story the way that it was true to me, and that was that she uses fantasy to deal with reality. I love that presentation. I think it just, that that adds so much to the story. I think it does too. And so that was my thing. But, you know, agents and publishers and editors, they get to do what they want. But there are a lot more opportunities to self-publish. I mean, it's a real thing now. Before, 10 years ago, maybe it wasn't like people didn't take that seriously. You can be a successful author now. And I did work with a consultant who suggested hybrid, which means like you go out and you show them. They say, no, you can't do that. You have to have one genre or another. Mm-hmm. Show them that, yes, you can do that. And then <laughs> maybe it will be time to find an agent or or a publisher. So yeah. I'm open to all those things. I used to think, like I said before, so many people say it has to happen this one way. I'm open to all the ways. My mission is just to get it out there and get it into readers' hands. I don't care how it happens. Well, it sounds like it's happening for sure. Yay! (laughs) I really just want to congratulate you on that again because I feel a lot of energy around your website and just reading the reviews. I just feel a lot of good energy, and I think that's fantastic. 
Thank you so much for your time today, Jane. It really has been a pleasure getting to know more about you and uh, look forward to uh, the next book. Thank you, Sherry. I've had a wonderful experience. To our listeners, thank you for joining us today at Inside Scoop Live for our interview with Jane L.B. Harris, author of Ribbon. Once again, you can find more information on Jane in her books at www.janelbharris.com. That's www.janelbharris.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at www.insidescooplive.com. <laughs>